0: Welcome back to Making the Metaverse with me, Michael Carter. Making the Metaverse is presented by on theblockchain.ca, Canada's fastest growing blockchain community. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to a very Very exciting episode of Making the Metaverse. I am very, uh, very happy to have uh, John King on the show today from Victory XR. Um, John is uh, really at the forefront of integrating VR into education and has really an amazing background um, that he brings to the table. He's got a wide range of skills and experiences. He took his undergraduate degree at the terry college of business at the university of georgia and completed a master's degree at the chinese university of hong kong where he studied uh, globalization commerce and media Uh, john's worked as a lecturer a researcher and a sales director for firms in the us and in china and more recently he's been in the edtech space working with victory xr Bringing colleges and universities into the XR education space through the building of digital twins and the integration of XR tech with curriculum. So, really, really excited to have you on the Sean on the show today, John. Uh, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Um, you know, I appreciate the invite and the introduction, and looking forward to talking about VR, uh, how it's emerging in the market, and and how we work with people to help bring it to life.
0: Uh, it's so great because. Um, and we'll get into this. I, I'll give you a, a moment to give yourself a, a personal introduction, but um, that that piece of, uh, I think that there's so many people that would love to have the tech, but don't necessarily understand how to make it happen. So I'm looking forward to digging into that a lot today. Um, yeah. so, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your life uh, before discovering VR. Sure.
1: Well, you know, originally I'm from the United States, grew up in the scrabble Piedmont of Georgia and, um, you know, you kind of carried through, you know, some seminal moments in terms of my education and, and in broad strokes, um, you know, what I've done professionally. But, you know, it relates to VR. I came across it initially a couple years ago just through a friend who had bought a headset and, you know, I said, hey, do you want to check this out? And I said, sure. And go in and, and play some of the introductory games and thought, okay, this is, you know, pretty novel. This is pretty cool. But at that time, I really kind of thought it was the purview of gaming, um yeah. you know, kind of solely, which is, well, this is just like, um, you know, an action pad for a Nintendo Wii or yeah. know, some other element that was kind of at least directly read, if not tangential to gaming and gaming only. And, you know, kind of where my perception of the technology changed, and I think it's probably true for a lot of people, at least in institutions of higher learning, is when I was managing a dual degree program and also an instructor at uh, Coastal Carolina University. And all of my students were um, primarily from Chinese speaking world. So the pandemic hit, most of those students left, and then you know we're trying to figure out how do we provide an immersive and engaging experience for students that are 1500 miles away or I'm sorry, uh, 15,000 miles away. Yeah. And, you know, that was a real challenge, you know, different time zones. And for most schools, you know, the solution was, okay, let's put some band-aids and duct tape on there and, and let's just move the modality into a Zoom call. Um, right, so yeah. We, you know, we can still deliver, you know, instruction and content, uh, even though we might not be able to be face-to-face. And as, as we all know, Zoom is great for many things, but it mm-hmm. has its limitations. And <laughs> You know, the eventual nightmare was looking at 50 black boxes with yep. muted red microphones, yep. um, kind of speaking into the void. And and I think, you know, after a couple of years of that, people, you know, not only instructors, administrators, but also students came to the conclusion that, that there needed to be more, that the value proposition, particularly on the student side, was lacking as it relates to kind of the experience that they were paying for. So that really turned my head. And ever since then, um, you know, I've been looking to basically work for a company to help solve the problems in higher ed that I had experienced during the pandemic.
2: Wow.
0: Okay. That's something that um is I've had discussions with it with my students in in some of the courses that I'm teaching at the college here. Um in fact I I asked them to to uh to give advice on on how they if they could go back in time you know, how would they do things differently during during the pandemic um, during that time when there was no, you know, physical in in-person classes. And so much of what you described is uh, exactly what they described, you know, this sort of this this void, <laughs> you know, this uh, this proverbial is this thing on kind of um, mm-hmm. kind of experience. And uh, that sort of engagement really just kind of um, went away. Um, so, so how did you how did you set about to sort of, you know, what I what I see is that it, it's not it's not all that necessarily straightforward to just pivot from, say, from Zoom to VR. So what was that like for you to go on that sort of that discovery?
1: That's a good question. You know, I, I think like any person kind of doing their due diligence in a field that they're not really um, familiar with, you're reaching out to anybody and everybody who can kind of give you, you know, a leg up or, or an edge to to really understand the core components of that technology. Um, you know, as an outsider, kind of looking in, and you know, on a broader spectrum, you know, I don't have a degree in computer science. I'm not um, great at coding. So, you know, trying to understand how, you know, I might be involved in this process. You know, given my previous skill set, and and more importantly how am I going to communicate that to, you know, institutions of higher learning? You know, certainly for the communication element, you know, I drew upon my experience working at universities all across the world, whether it was as a faculty member or as an administrator, to kind of articulate, you know, one, um, you know, the fears that I think most of those people had experienced during the pandemic. And then secondly, you know, how does a solution like this apply to a university and and here are the steps that you got to take to kind of at the very least do some due diligence make an assessment and then ultimately a decision as to whether this can improve uh, you know the experience of of students and faculty at a university or college
0: Mm. and did you um one of the things that i that i found is that um for people that haven't, like you had that sort of VR experience prior. It was gaming, admittedly, mm-hmm. but you had at least put on a headset mm-hmm. and had the experience of VR. And I find that for a lot of people, especially educators, that haven't had that experience, they what they want to do is, um, or what they bring is sort of this paradigm of lecture slides and classroom desks. And, mm-hmm. they, and they want to sort of like replicate that experience in VR. So their questions are like, well, you know, where does the slide, where did the slides show up and where, did, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that is certainly something that can be done. You can do that in VR. Um, mm-hmm. But there's there's so much more and so many different ways that you can um, yeah, uh, share curriculum in mm-hmm. that space.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think that... You know, when I speak with, you know, whether it's universities or corporations or, or whoever is trying to get their mind wrapped around what's possible. I, I think that is the real, real question is that you, you have to start to help people define boundaries around this technology as it relates to not only what they want to do, but also what's possible and what's not possible with this technology. Mm. Right. It, it's not a panacea to solve all ills. Yeah. It's, the end of the day it's the tool. And some tools have more uses than others, but, you know, I I view it very much as a tool and in the applications where it it works well, it's fantastic. But, you know, I heard a great piece of advice around VR and going back to what you described as people's perceptions of basically just doing a one-to-one replication from what they had been doing in the real world to, you know, moving it into VR and, you know, to put it simply if something isn't fun or interesting or immersive in real life mm-hmm. just moving it into the VR space isn't going to solve that problem
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so for example if you're sitting you know if, if you have a meeting in a conference room that drags on and on right. and is boring and soul-sucking mm-hmm moving that into the VR you're probably going to get the same result
0: yeah yeah well yeah absolutely I mean zoom zoom did that right like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you know that that's an important lesson another you know important thing to keep in mind is that you know people particularly at universities they're accustomed you know sometimes to being the smartest person in the room you know right. many of them are you know mm-hmm. specialized experts with PhDs mm-hmm. so you know it, one of the things that I've come into is that, you know, people will posture around understanding the technology mm. without ever having experienced the technology, mm-hmm.
2: right? Yeah,
0: I, I've seen that a lot. I've I've started telling people like, you know, if you haven't put on the headset and experienced VR, it's really difficult for me to take your opinion or your perspective seriously.
1: Yeah, and, and that can go a couple different ways. You know, in, in the best way, people are using their imagination to really proffer out some fantastical ideas, um, mm. some of which are, are possible and, and mm. some of which are not. Yeah. You know, at the worst of it, um, you know, people let the hubris get the best of them. Mm. And then beyond that, they might even project some of their own fears, which is, mm. uh, you know, I've never used VR before, but I just know the students would mm. hate this.
0: Right. Um, yeah.
1: And, you know, as this, you know, 18 to 25 year olds are not digital natives who have never touched a gaming console, who have mm. never taken a class online. Mm. So, you know, the quickest way to cut that Gordian knot is really to get people in headsets yeah. and, and have that experience. And, and myself, I'm an empiricist. I love having an experience to, you know, bring myself to a determination. And that's what I encourage everyone to do. You know, get a headset, try it. And then, then at least, you know, if it's experience that, you know, matches with your previous kind of perception mm-hmm. and yeah. can this apply to the problems that you're trying to solve?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, really enjoy onboarding people and giving them that first exposure. And one of the, the sort of telltale signs that it for me or where the journey begins is the first time that they turn their head. You know, they turn their head, and the world is there everywhere that they look. And something I feel happens in that moment for people. It's like this visceral experience that, like, oh, this is really something different.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. You know, I I liken it to a sea change moment. Um, yeah. You know, some things that would be analogous to that would be, you know, the first time you used an internet search engine. You know, mm-hmm. with your perception of how that worked. Before, during, and after that experience, mm-hmm. probably change quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and same thing with a smartphone. and And I think using a VR headset falls in that experience, maybe even more um, pertinent because as you mentioned, when you're in the headset, it, sometimes you forget that you know you are within a simulation, which is to say that if if someone steps closer to me in VR, I have a, a, a physical reaction, which is, oh, okay, maybe that's too close, right? That's right. my personal yeah. space bubble. Yeah, And you don't really do that on a Zoom call per se. Your, right. your, yeah. your physical body is not making reactions on yeah. um, the Zoom call so much as compared to being immersed in the VR environment.
0: Right, yeah. And we're all segmented by frames, right? Mm-hmm. So, so nobody's really coming in my frame even. <laughs> <laughs> that's true on on that on that note the the one of the second things that i think really after you know the that first experience of of turning your head and and realizing that wow the the whole environment is is around me um is being able to interact with objects and this is something that i think about when i think about the difference between you know uh, giving a uh, slide decks in VR, as opposed to giving slide decks on zoom, as opposed to giving slide decks on, in a lecture hall, like it's all quite similar. VR offers us a, uh, an opportunity to do something different, which is to actually interact with digital objects. What role do you feel that plays in, in the experience and, and the value offering for VR and education?
1: Oh, man, I think it's a a key element of that value proposition um, that often is misinterpreted um, before people even experience it. And Mm -hmm. and I'll just kind of lay out an example, which is, you know, most people, and and we're all victims of our own bias. So Mm -hmm. as you kind of look at how the technology has been used in the past, you know, if you look at higher ed, Specifically, a lot of it's been used in nursing and health sciences and Mm -hmm. aviation, and that kind of has informed people's opinion about where it can be used in the future, Mm -hmm. which is only in those spaces. But what what we found out, you know, again, empirically through working with 140 universities, is that at the end of the day, the technology is subject matter agnostic. So. Mm. You know, although, yes, it's great for healthcare sciences and nursing and, you know, aviation, it's Mm -hmm. also great for economics and Mm -hmm. speech pathology and art history. Hmm. And, you know, the art history is where I'd like to give this example, which is, you know, if you look at a normal art history class at at college or university, the best that most of those students are going to get related to that material is sitting five rows back in a lecture hall looking at a ppt of a still frame piece yep. of art
0: yeah absolutely
1: and the likelihood of those students traveling around the world to the louvre and to london and new york to see all those paintings yeah. is is very mm-hmm. unlikely right? so if you look at what vr can do to help um, you know a liberal arts class which i think most people would say well what place does vr have there Yes, You can actually create your own art gallery with these Mm -hmm. masterpieces. You can manipulate the size of them, you know, turn the Mona Lisa from an A3 size piece of paper to, you know, the size of a drive-in movie theater screen. Yes. And and you can see the brush strokes and and the minutiae in these high definition 3D object scans, which actually allow people to go in and interact with these, Where otherwise, you know, people are going to leave that art history class thinking, well, well, that was interesting, but I'll never see him and I'll never interact with him. So, you know, whether it's kind of opening up the doors of perception for um, subject matter areas that have not traditionally been associated with technologies Mm -hmm. to providing elements of access and accessibility um, for students who are taking classes around things that might have obstacles in terms of Mm -hmm. physical location expenditures Mm -hmm. and and access i think vr is an incredible tool
0: yeah i agree i've um even just with uh simple things i've done with my students having them look at uh, the components hardware components inside a desktop computer and being able to just pick up different pieces and and make them really large like huge and they can manipulate them uh in vr space we can walk around on top of a motherboard. <laughs> we can walk around on top of a CPU. Um, it's just it 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 just brings things to life in in a really incredible way that even can't be done even in person. As you said, like you know, even if we could say that yes, we can have these physical paintings in our presence. Um, what we can't do is stretch them out like that. What we can't do is uh, have that kind of um, visceral uh, experience, even mm-hmm. though it, it's taking place in the digital plane. Um, and w- now, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about, and perhaps you can talk to the, you know, how Victory XR uh, delivers on this, is um, I think. I, you know, we've talked about how I think a lot of people are really focused on the scene mm-hmm. um, and because, uh, you know, as we said, they're they're thinking about the lecture classroom, like where what is the classroom going to look like and where are the slides going to go? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do I import those digital items, the slides into into the scene? But something I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of the um, managing of digital assets, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, you know, I may go to, I may have to go to Sketchfab and and scour the Sketchfab platform for the right components that I need for my um, for my uh, classroom in VR. And then I'm going to run into issues around potentially around intellectual property rights and commercial rights and all of these sorts of things. Uh, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you got to pay for them. Sometimes they're free. You got to manage all of that. Um, and so that's like a lot of extra load for instructors, um, -hmm. maybe are already at their max, just trying to design the curriculum as slides. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on on that whole piece of of the of bringing VR into the into curriculum?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think it starts with a, a preliminary question that you kind of highlighted, which is, you know, most faculty. Are not interested in adding a bunch of extra work to their plate that they're not uh, being compensated for. Nope. And, that, and that's just a fact, <laughs> I can't right? speak to that. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can you can dance around that question all day, but at yeah. the end, you know, you got to help clarify that you know this is a tool, and that we're doing the heavy lifting for faculty so that they can plug and play this tool mm-hmm. just like any other tool, whether it be a PPT or a video in the appropriate way to help maximize the impact of the learning objectives of the course. Mm. And something that is important to state right away is that we're not reinventing the wheel here as it relates to the course to be taught. That, you know, it's kind of analogous to going back to the beginning of the pandemic, 2020 in the spring, when the pandemic hit and every institution of higher learning and and many others said, you know, how are we going to deliver Uh, if we can't be face-to-face. And at that time, most schools decided, well, okay, let's just move our lectures into Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it it worked great, but at that time, when you moved those classes into Zoom, you didn't submit an application to the department for a new class. Mm -hmm. You didn't go through the accreditation or approval process. Mm -hmm. You just shifted the modality of those courses
0: and the slides also just slide right in right like you don't have to make Mm -hmm. a new kind of slide or different kinds of slides you can just take your presentation your ppt and just Mm -hmm. deliver it that way instead of on screen in the room
1: exactly and and so letting people know that one we're not creating new classes we're just adding a tool and shifting the modality Mm -hmm. and secondly you can use all of those prepared materials that you already have because Mm -hmm. you know frankly many instructors are teaching the same class year on year, mm-hmm. so you're not having to go back and totally redo your course prep. You can mm-hmm. integrate, as you stated, all of those elements in conjunction with the VR experience to kind of ideally make a seamless and immersive and engaging environment um, that any you know department can use.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think you know the the that what I what I see is that. Th- that a value offering would be that if faculty can focus on delivering curriculum rather than having to make their own digital objects, mm-hmm. um, that would probably be a really great thing. And that that's something that your team does. You've got like a big asset library. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the way that we kind of help you know, do the heavy lifting as it were around, you know, the technology is that one, we have a, a pretty comprehensive training program and that's, you know, it's 10 hours split asynchronous and synchronous to get people up to speed. I mean, they you know, I think a lot of faculty in the past have experienced this where, you know, an administrator makes a decision about new technology to be adopted right. and the faculty are the last to know. Yeah,
2: right? sure.
1: So yeah. there's, there's some resentment on the faculty as saying, hey, why well, no one consulted me on this, but I'm being told I got to use this. No one's telling me how to use this. So, you know, I might not, not just use it. You know, it, it might sit on the shelf. And one of those elements is we're talking about an asset catalog. And, and just for all the listeners, when we're talking about assets, we're talking about a three-dimensional object that you can summon into the VR space
2: mm-hmm. that
1: is manipulable. So mm-hmm. that might be, Embedded functionality that might be manipulating the size or, you know, even reduplicating that object um, so that there's one for everyone in the
0: class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool.
1: <laughs> what we do is, you know, we have a standing uh, object catalog of about 11,000 assets. And,
2: wow. you
1: know, anyone who partners with us under our licensure can use any of those assets as well as we'll actually build out additional assets for free as commiserate with the requirements of that course to make sure the teachers have the tools that they need. Mm-hmm. So we, we you know, get a little bit of reference from the faculty member about what they want, and then we go out and build it. And we're adding those objects to our catalog every day so that, you know, what I like to say is a rising tide is bringing up all ships. Mm-hmm. So you know, what one biology one oh one professor requests will probably be applicable for other biology one oh one professors, you know, across the nation and, and the globe as yeah. it relates to things that are useful in that course teaching in VR. Mm, yeah,
0: absolutely. Um what about uh interactivity of objects? Is that something that is possible? So we've we've kind of described them as things that we could look at mm-hmm. and uh, things that we could manipulate by turning them around or making them bigger or smaller. Is that the limit of the functionality? Is there additional functionality that those assets offer?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's additional functionality that you can embed within those objects. Um, a simple example would be I make an uh, elephant. Right and okay. standing still and, and unchosen or unclicked, if you could say that elephant is just standing there as a static, basically three-dimensional object. Mm-hmm. But when I click on it, the elephant starts to walk. Right. So mm. you can embed elements of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also embed you know audio um, you know into the object as well as build out some simple additional functionality layers that you know when you click on this uh, statue then it provides an audio uh, prompt as well as some text that individual can see and only that individual, right? So you could be in a museum clicking through these exhibits with, um, you know, objects and functionality where, you know, it's not disturbing others, but you're still gaining the benefit of the functionality within those objects that are Mm -hmm. being used in the course. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, So we, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, we've kind of, we have talked about, like, it's in some ways, like some of the friction uh, of of doing all of this. But your group has, you said, 140 universities you've partnered with. That's correct. So something, something's working. <laughs> <laughs> like well, people out there must be excited.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we're excited, and I think our partners are excited. Um, you know. Th- to give a little bit of a a context to those partners, you know, that might be a school that we've worked with for, you know, three or four years, and they have, Mm -hmm. you know, a thousand or multiple thousand students working through, you know, some iteration of a VR course at their institution to a university that just signed up, and, you know, the faculty, the core cohort of the project team is still working through that training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly there's a progression there, but what we've started to see over the course of several academic years is the increased adoption uh, at an institution and, and the penetration is, you know, the technology kind of catches fire and then, you mm-hmm. know, people kind of got a sense of FOMO, right? That mm-hmm. they go, oh, oh yeah. that department is doing it. And yes. yeah. it's really like it. Yeah. Maybe we should try it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, the, the joke I like to tell is that at universities, you know, nobody wants to be first, but everybody wants to be second
2: yeah and, that's right
1: and, yeah and, and there's a lot of good sense behind that right because you know people want to see best use cases they want sure. to see demonstrated efficacy yeah. as it relates to the technology so yeah. you know I, I can't tell you where you know that that tipping point is but mm-hmm. i would say that over the last couple of years it's accelerated and you know particularly with the adoption of the technology by major r1 institutions and ivy leagues and you know colleges around the world mm-hmm. i think you're going to start to see a general shift in acknowledgement around the efficacy of this technology
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, that makes me think about um you know branding right managing your brand and and uh and which then also makes me think about um you know university campuses are uh you know, they have a, a certain appearance, they have certain features and characteristics that distinguish them, that make them recognizable. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily so obvious when you're inside a particular classroom environment. But when you have like a digital twin of an entire campus, that mm-hmm. can be really quite a a big statement. What's the what's your sense of, of people's interest in taking on, I think that's a, would you say that's a larger scale project than developing a classroom? And, and what, do, what are people hoping to accomplish by, by making those digital twins? I mean, I've started building one myself and mm-hmm. uh, it's not a, I don't think it's a one person project. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, <laughs>
2: it's
0: what I've Fair come enough. to that it, it's a, it's quite a much larger project. So, so what, what's going on there?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. Maybe we'll start at the tail end. And you know, I I've worked with a lot of R1 institutes who you know they had the money and the resources to to put behind a VR initiative, and you know, and then six months later they they come to the kind of that same conclusion is that um you know that it might take a little bit longer than projected, and you know, given the the exponential growth of technologies, you know, there's an opportunity for a lot of institutions still for some primacy in the space, right? Mm, And and if you're looking at, you know, all the challenges universities have faced, particularly the drops in enrollment that many institutions Mm -hmm. haven't recovered uh, over the last three years, then, you know, this is perhaps that competitive advantage to help bring back those enrollments and and also kind of, you know, create a bulwark for, you know, emerging technologies and adapting for delivering instruction for the coming years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that's important, but, and kind of looking at the digital twin, you know, just for all your listeners, you know, a digital twin is a space that's been basically recreated from a physical space in the real world, right? So creating a digital twin campus is a process of selecting certain building exteriors and interiors, working with photos, and then creating essentially a three-dimensional modeled environments that can be used. By those institutions for a multitude of things. Hmm. And you know one of the things that obviously they're using for is instruction. So you know keeping mm-hmm. in a VR lecture hall that's an exact copy of a lecture hall that a university does have mm-hmm.
2: already. Yeah.
1: Um, we can also build out fantasy campuses, right which is yeah. you know a, a online school might not have a physical campus, right. So, you know, as, as the Disney people say, we imagineer um, a VR campus premised upon triangulating certain style elements and buildings that they would like included, even if they don't exist in the real world, which mm. is, you know, kind of fun. But you know, what I think is currently being overlooked a little bit by institutions is, you know, for most of these project teams that are bringing their institutions into the VR space. I think they have a a fairly good grasp of the potential for how it can be used in instruction. Um, Because we've kind of dabbled in that, well, everyone has over the last couple of years, and and the challenges are pretty clear. Hmm. I think where there's still a lot of growth and and room for perceptive change is the ancillary services that are provided by universities, such as um, admissions and recruiting and alumni engagement. Yes, absolutely. so if you look at, you know, in, in just a quick example, if I'm taking a, a credit bearing course, um, a three credit hour course in VR, I might only be using that that VR headset one hour a week, right, right. in the required section. Mm-hmm. But what about those other things? What if I want to go to the tutoring center, mm-hmm. but I live two hours away from the
0: institution? Right, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, well, well I can meet in the VR space and we could go over that material and use the power of this technology in mm-hmm. that tutoring services area, mm-hmm. um, we have partners who use the digital twin spaces for mindfulness classes, mental health counseling. Yeah, we have the admissions departments use it for virtual tours of campuses. Yep. Um, and we even have housing departments using VR dorm rooms to help recruit students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sounds silly, but you know, think about how many students never step foot inside a dorm room. Until the day they move into that dorm room.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the
1: answer is quite a few of them. So, you know, in the aggregate, if you know these departments outside of the pure academic disciplines see the value of this technology, I think that's going to help make it a lot easier for institutions to get everyone on board in experimenting, at least with what's possible.
0: Yeah, and that that speaks to one of the um, one of the first things that I sort of picked up on when I entered into this space, um, was that what's happening there is that there's an, there's, um, there's a, there's a bonding that's happening with some, there there's, with some kind of, um, place now it's mm-hmm. digital, but it's something that doesn't really happen well with zoom, right? Like you hop in a Zoom call and it's not necessarily clear that you're in a particular place of any kind. Every Zoom room looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me, uh, you know, place and and the features of place and space are important for building that bond. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly, you know... Uh, University and college years are really significant in our in our in, in at least in the formation of my identity, um, mm-hmm. and and in that in that feeling connected to that particular entity, um, and I, I think that if it's you know if we're just talking about Zoom meetings strictly and 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 then even just with classroom time only there's something missing there's a connection that's not there that's that's really lost that i think that vr can help it obviously you know being in person is pretty well always preferred but mm-hmm. um it 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 certainly offers a vast improvement on how i feel connected to this thing called my university or or my college
1: mhm yeah, I think that's important, and that's something that I think is kind of hard for people to come to an inclusion. Sure. In, uh, yeah. Without ever experiencing. <laughs> yeah. CDR.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, what I like to articulate, and you know, sometimes with new technologies, and, and again, there's imperatives from administration, and you know, your own, you know, preferences on how you're going to implement a new tool. At the end of the day, people need to remember that it's not a zero-sum game, and 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 that just because you're you're using one technology doesn't mean you're denying people another Mm element of technology. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: And I think that you know over the the decades, you know, when new technology has been introduced, people kind of go into defensive mode and say, well, if we Mm -hmm. do this, then we can't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. And and what we've kind of learned is that you know every institution knows itself best and has different priorities and then using the amalgam of tools that you're disposable what's the best blended you know application of these tools mm-hmm. and that will differ from you know institution institution department to department instructor to instructor but you know there is a requirement i think in it in terms of curiosity that you know if you want to use a new tool you got to you got to try it out and You know, I I don't know what they're teaching these days uh, is kind of, uh, you know, exit interview courses for students trying to get jobs. But I think the unfortunate fact is that everybody, regardless of discipline, is going to have to stay on the up and up around new technologies being integrated into their space.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, my father was a tenured professor and, you know, there's kind of a proclivity for, you know, people who have a lot of security in that position to say, well, I don't have to learn anything new. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, yeah.
1: But, but it doesn't matter whether you're 61 or 21, that's a dangerous proposition. Mm-hmm. Because then that opens yourself up to being left behind. So, you know, regardless of discipline, you know, being aware of how new technologies work and, and understanding the basic precepts of how they might apply to your discipline I think is a distinct advantage. And, you know, another great example is AI and ChatGPT. GPT. Mm -hmm. I I got friends right now grading papers, and they don't even know if they were written by the student or -hmm. the AI. But, you know, eventually institutions will figure it out, and and the dust will settle and there will be a balance struck. And I think, you know, every institution, you know, owes it to itself to at least do the due diligence as to whether you know that tool could be a benefit to their community
0: mm. um i i like um what i what i've felt about victory xr is that you're you're not just dropping a product in people's laps it you you clearly have so much more to offer it, you're more of like a, a partner i feel in uh helping onboard institutions in, mm-hmm. into VR, um, which I think is probably really important and helpful for those thought leaders at colleges and universities. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, different, different categories of people bring different things, you know, if the uh, executives are, are, uh, or admin is, is forward thinking, well, they, they, they have, uh, budgets that they can leverage, um, if, if faculty are interested, you know, that uh, they may bring some domain knowledge um, that they can leverage. Um, so in, in terms of um, helping different champions out there, you know, mm-hmm. who are listening and saying, geez, I want I want to do this, you know, and I'm a faculty member or I'm a program director or I'm a, an executive um what is it before we go, what is your um what is your advice to those individuals to help them navigate whatever challenges they whether it's facing faculty as the obstacle or facing admin as the obstacle, um, what's your what's your advice?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it takes a village, right? Um, yeah. As the expression goes. And for the teams that I see as, as successful at universities who are implementing this technology. You need uh, a triumvirate of of three main roles, and and one person might inhabit all three roles. But generally speaking, you need an administrator, right? Someone who has the power of the first, who can you know yep. rally the troops. You need a technologist, um, mm. you know that could be you know instructional designer. It could be the director of IT who is supportive and and also made aware that this initiative is. Is happening. I right. mean, the, the, yeah. the joke in IT is that they're the last to know, but the first to get asked for help. Yep. Um, and that's you know important to have them there. And then the third and probably most critical are the faculty who are going to be involved in actually teaching these initial courses. Mm-hmm. And you know what we've determined is kind of the the linchpin for success is is really not the class that's being taught in terms of subject matter, but mm-hmm. the faculty member who's teaching them. Mm. You know it's, is this faculty member have bandwidth? Are they excited? Are they doing this of their own volition? And uh, mm-hmm. in, in that case, it works every time. If it's something that's kind of pushed on the faculty who don't have the time and are not really interested, like any other new technology, that that can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some other things to kind of keep in mind are, you know, if you're looking at funding, you know. Again, a lot of new technologies, you know, the funding's not there because there isn't demonstrated efficacy. Mm-hmm. And the way to get there is to teach one or two classes, you know, build a team, build a groundswell to essentially validate that technology as well as, you know, lay the groundwork for increased funding for headsets or licenses or a digital twin. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we find the training that we provide integral. we Essentially, working hand-in-hand in, hand in partnerships really because we're both going into the unknown together in mm. some sense right mm-hmm. this isn't you know it's not like trying to convince someone to go from Pepsi to coke right Right. yeah <laughs> So you're trying to bring in a new technology in and really articulate for people who've never experienced that you know how that might apply to them and that takes time and that takes working uh, with people You know, constantly in meetings, questions, and training to to make sure they feel comfortable with it. Because at the end of the day, if they don't, you know, it doesn't matter how good the technology is. It's a moot point. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our focus as a company, you know, is solely in education. You know, we work K through 12, work in higher ed. Um, and you know a lot of buzzwords you know getting thrown around you know NFTs, Web three, blockchain, and mm-hmm. you know, th- those are all cool technologies. But our emphasis is providing you know VR solutions, the software builds, the spaces, and the tools that I think faculty and institutions need to help make this a success. And that's where we focus our time mm. um, and energy.
2: Mm.
0: Um... So bef- before we go, uh, what um, what opportunities or offerings are there for people out there that are listening that that want to hear more, want to want to learn more from yep. this victory XR. Uh, you guys have a obviously like a, a nice website and and all of that. But I think you I've at least I've attended an it's a, an informational meeting um, mm-hmm. and you give tours as well.
1: Yeah, so if uh, people are curious, um, you know, first, you're always welcome to reach out to me, yeah. John at victoryxr.com. But, you know, we have um, on our website, you know, www.victoryxr.com. Obviously, a lot of choices and in, in looking at products and partners we've worked with. But to your point, you know, we do have a weekly information session you can sign up for on our website. We have a weekly VR tour. Um, where you can actually go inside these environments and and see how people are preparing courses and interacting and and how this tool actually applies in real time. and and again, it's it's about the experience, right? Being able to have that and then make a best decision. And we also have a, you know a LinkedIn page. So all those are are great resources for people to learn a little bit more. And uh, of course, my door is always open. So I love answering these kind of questions and and helping uh, separate the week from the chat and, uh, you know, allowing people to kind of get that information and then make best decisions.
0: Wow, well, this has been really so fantastic, John. Um, it's great to uh, to talk with someone and have the feeling that uh, there's uh, experience and wisdom behind the person that's representing a particular product or service, but particularly in something like, you know, new tech, where um, unfortunately there's a lot of bad, uh, representations in the media about, <laughs> mm-hmm. like you said, people in in blockchain and and, uh, and the metaverse has been taking a, a few hits recently, um, mm-hmm. and so to have someone that clearly is um, you know well versed and and passionate about the opportunity here is is just so fantastic. I really um, I really have a, have uh, enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, Michael, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, thanks to to you and and all your listeners out there. And um, you know, I look forward to hearing it and hearing from some of your listeners as well to help answer their questions.
0: Okay, I'll put all the note all the uh, info in the notes so that people can click through easily and find you.
1: All right, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate it and uh, good luck.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much, John. Have a great day.
2: All right. You too.